Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, on TechDirt, we frequently talk about really the unintended consequences, I think, of privacy laws, uh, not because we dislike efforts to protect our privacy, but because we often feel that lawmakers don't fully understand privacy itself and what it means uh, and all the trade-offs involved. And so almost all of the attempts that we've seen at, at privacy lawmaking seem to lead us to a place where some things are made worse rather than better, and understanding those consequences is something that's pretty important, especially at a time when uh, everyone seems to be coming out with new privacy laws. Uh, recently, Berkeley Law Assistant Professor Rebecca Wexler told me about a consequence of a bunch of privacy laws that I'd never really considered before, and that is the impact uh, on defendants in the criminal justice system. So she's working on an upcoming law review article that goes into detail about how law enforcement can often get access to various documents, such as from internet companies who are required to hand over the data, while defendants are unable to get access to data or evidence that might exonerate them, as it's often blocked by privacy laws. Uh, as she notes, this creates something of an unfair imbalance in a criminal justice system that is already uh, pretty imbalanced uh, for defendants. Uh, because these laws you know, create these carve-outs for law enforcement but make it harder for defense, defense teams to access uh, similar or useful data, it makes it that much harder for accused criminals to, to prove their side of the case. Uh, this whole area of study was kind of new and fascinating to me, so I have invited Rebecca onto the podcast uh, to talk about it. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. That was a great explanation of the issue. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, all right, there we go. If we have a great explanation, we can just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Two minutes in. <laughs> so so uh, let, let's start with the, the basics. Uh, can you explain sort of, you know, what's happening? You, you had told me about this, and I thought it was really interesting, thought it was worth discussing on the podcast. Uh, give, give a basic description for our listeners of, of what this problem is and where you've seen it. Sure. So there's a troubling pattern. It's appears in past privacy laws, and it also appears in this new wave of proposed federal privacy bills and state privacy laws, which is that these laws often give law enforcement more access to sensitive information than they give to criminal defense investigators. And as you said, it's an unintentional consequence, a side effect of the legislative process where this asymmetry is the product of an oversight by lawmakers, not reasoned deliberation. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, yeah, because I, I think, I mean, one of the things that, that happens whenever you have these kinds of laws is that there is, you know, there are competing interests. There are a ton of competing interests, you know, more than, more than I think anyone can, can possibly think about at any one time. Sure. But, you know, law enforcement you know, constantly wants more access to things, right? I and mean, we discuss that in lots of different contexts. While the whole point of privacy laws is, is to protect data, and sometimes it's to protect data from the government in some cases, and in a lot of cases it's to protect the, the data from the way companies might use it. Um, so, you know, so 
Can, can you give an example of, of where this is actually playing out, where there's, there's a sort of imbalance? Sure. Yeah. So one of the most prominent examples, and the reason we know that these asymmetries can be really harmful to criminal investigations is the Stored Communications Act of 1986. So that law was passed to try to enhance privacy in documents that we store with service providers rather than in our home. And it has a blanket prohibition on service providers for disclosing the contents of your communications. So they can't just take the contents of your Facebook posts or your email and publish them to the newspaper. There are limitations on when they can disclose that. And the law has express exceptions that permit them to disclose to law enforcement investigations. So what you were saying, Mike, is about how lawmakers want to pass these bills in part to regulate law enforcement's investigation is that even when they impose heightened burdens on law enforcement investigations, sometimes that means the lawmakers are thinking about police getting access to this information. And so Mm -hmm. at least they give a avenue for police to get the information, whereas they aren't thinking about defense investigators who may be investigating the same people, the same facts and circumstances. So it's 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 funny in a way that by trying to regulate law enforcement, they actually end up making it relatively easier for law enforcement. Right. And in theory, and I'll emphasize the theory part of this, yeah. uh, you know, if law enforcement comes across information that would help to exonerate a defendant, they are supposed to hand that over, correct? Right, right. So this is one of the tricky issues. A lot of people think, oh, well, we have these due process protections when law enforcement has possession of evidence of innocence. The Constitution requires that they share that information with the defense. And that's true. But it doesn't address this issue because we have an adversarial criminal justice system in the U.S. in which Mm -hmm. law enforcement's not obliged to investigate evidence of innocence. Mm -hmm. So they only have to disclose that information if they happen to come across it. They're under no duty to actively investigate a defendant's theory of the case. In our justice system, that duty belongs to defense counsel alone. And it is a duty of defense counsel. So if they don't investigate, you have an ineffective effective assistance claim. Mm -hmm. This is why we give defense counsel subpoena power, right? Right. If we were happy to let them just go along with what law enforcement happens to have collected and disclosed, then they wouldn't need to do independent investigations. But we think that they should, they're obliged to. And so we give them statutory power to subpoena non-parties, to subpoena witnesses. And we also give them constitutional compulsory process power in the Sixth Amendment, where they're entitled to use compulsory process to compel the production of witnesses and evidence in their favor. And it's that independent investigative power that's getting screwed up by the privacy laws. Right. And so, for example, I mean, some of the things that you've talked about are, are you know, where a defense team might subpoena, say, Twitter or Facebook to try and get access to certain communications that, that might provide evidence that, that shows the innocence of a defense client and those companies are refusing to hand it over which by law they're they're not supposed to hand over those communications because of the stored communications act yes 
footnote, if I can. So what, mm -hmm. one of the cases I've been really interested in is this case of Lee Sullivan and Derek Hunter that's actually out of SF. So the two of them are young men. They were charged with participating in a drive-by shooting. And the government's theory of that case was that the shooting was gang-related. So the government introduced a lot of social media evidence to support their theory that this gang relationship motivated the defendants to participate in the shooting. Neither of them, by the way, is charged with actually pulling the trigger. Mm. Uh, and so the two defendants tried to subpoena one of the prosecution's chief witnesses' social media records from Facebook and Twitter. And this is a witness who was herself arrested driving the getaway car moments after the shooting and threatened with prosecution. So she had a Fifth Amendment privilege not to produce the records. Remember your Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. You don't mm -hmm. have to self-incriminate. So she didn't have to produce the records. And so the only way that they could get these records to try to show she was biased and lying or impeach her was to subpoena Facebook and Twitter for her social media messages. And Facebook and Twitter said no. So, okay, now back to what you were saying about the law is preventing Facebook and Twitter from complying with these subpoenas. That is partially true, but in this particular case, the defendants actually went to trial. Mm -hmm. And at trial, your U.S. federal constitutional rights are their strongest. And when these defendants went to trial, they served a trial subpoena on Facebook and Twitter. And the trial judge ruled that their Sixth Amendment and due process rights entitled them to the production of that evidence. So we're doing rock, paper, scissors, laws and statutes and constitution, <laughs> right? U.S. Constitution beats U.S. federal statute. Uh -huh. So in that context, Facebook and Twitter really did have to comply with that order, and they actually tried to appeal it. They got the California Appellate Court to review it, and the, the Appellate Court said they weren't going to stop the judge's order. And then they got the California State Supreme Court to review it, and the Supreme Court said the exact same thing. We're not going to stop the trial judge's order under the U.S. Constitution. So when it went back down, the trial judge said, hey, you got two levels of review, time to hand over this evidence, and they still said no, and so they were actually held in contempt of court. Huh. Um, interesting. And so, I mean, I can see both sides of this, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting challenge, right? And, and with all of these these privacy laws this is this is what it often comes down to is there are all different trade-offs here right so so twitter and and facebook and you know lots of internet companies obviously have been accused of all sorts of things regarding privacy and so um you know to to some extent <laughs> they're they're fairly sensitive about handing out any kind of communications you know uh because there are concerns about giving up private communications um and so I, I, I still do wonder, you know, how, how do you set that balance? And so, you know, Twitter in particular has, you know, spent years sort of trying to present that they will, you know, fight for their users' privacy rights, you know, as as far as they can. Um, they've they've lost some of those fights. Usually, in in government cases, here's a different one. This is this is, um, you know, for the defense side. Um, and so. I'm 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 just kind of I'm 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 not sure I can see how you balance that in a way that um, 
that handles all of those things, <laughs> all the competing interests. Yeah, sure. No, it, it definitely is a tricky issue and the privacy interests are legitimate concerns. It's that phrase that you just had, uh, I think protecting their users' privacy as far as possible. You said right. something like that. And I think that's the key point here, that we shouldn't be protecting privacy to the point where we're violating court orders or uh -huh. we're not complying with otherwise valid legal and constitutional uh, uh, legal process, subpoenas. And so you say, okay, well, you know, big picture here, we do want to protect privacy. And these data privacy laws, both the proposed ones and the past ones, are well-intentioned and and we need to have privacy as we're sending more and more data about our lives to intermediary companies and we don't have control over that data we need laws that are going to protect consumer privacy here but first of all even the SCA doesn't protect your privacy in all kinds of data right. from defense subpoenas and so everybody agrees criminal defendants can subpoena non-content information from technology companies that's your location information your metadata your subscriber information there's no problem getting that access technology companies still however make it more difficult for defense subpoenas than they do for law enforcement investigations and so an example is that, uh, well, first of all, we've got these transparency reports, and we, we like to know how many government requests there are to technology companies, but tech companies don't publish anything about defense requests for information. Right. We don't actually know how big of a problem it is. Uh, but beyond that, there have been instances where compliance officers inside technology companies will rely on the SCA to give overbroad denials. So a defense attorney who doesn't realize there's this tricky issue in the law might ask for both content and non-content information, and then they'll just get a blanket default denial letter that says, sorry, SCA gets in the way. And that really can create a chilling effect for defense counsel who are repeatedly seeing these blocks to getting access and sometimes they don't even try to investigate at all. Meanwhile, tech companies have created these portals just for law <laughs> enforcement, right, to make their lives even easier. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it should be no, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but, but I just want to repeat the fact that like the Store Communications Act, um, and uh, w which was a part of um, ECPA, the, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, I think is what it stands for. Uh -huh. Those were passed in 1986 and are in many ways, woefully outdated. Uh, I mean, think about the world in 1986 versus the world today uh, and, and how those laws were written and what they were, were thinking about. And there have been efforts for, at, well, at least the past two decades to try and update those. And, and they seem to just uh, consistently go nowhere. But it's, it's interesting to see how it's, it's playing out in this case. Um, you know, one of the, the pushbacks that I've seen to, to this kind of concern is that um, the worry that you know uh, defense counsel would would sort of use this as a fishing expedition, right? If they mm -hmm. can, um, you know, dive into the you know Facebook communications of witnesses or you know other people, is does that raise other concerns? 
Yeah, so there are absolutely legitimate concerns about abusive or harassing defense subpoenas. Uh By the way, those concerns also apply to law enforcement. We have examples of law enforcement abuse of of process. And so they don't justify, you know, at least on a first glance, that doesn't justify the asymmetrical treatment. But in addition, we have safeguards against abusive subpoenas that are already built into the subpoena power. So defense can't get a subpoena if the judge thinks they're just going on a fishing expedition. And the judge can quash the subpoena. I, by the way, I love that word quash. It's <laughs> yes, like the it's now it's quashal. It's the best. Um, but it basically just means deny, right? So the, the right. judge can deny the subpoena if they think that it's unduly invasive of privacy. There are also other types of protections, even for information that is disclosed. So you could disclose information to the judge initially, mm-hmm. and then the judge can review it and make sure that the information really is evidence of innocence that the defendant needs to access. You can disclose information just to defense counsel under a protective order. You can say, this is limited to attorney's eyes only. It's not even going to go to the suspect. You can mm-hmm. require that counsel d- delete the data, return it after they use it. And those types of restrictions are enforceable by contempt proceedings, by disciplinary sanctions, and by civil suit. So we have these safeguards built in, in part because we do already give defense investigators access to lots of other sensitive information. So defense investigators have access to medical records. Mm-hmm. You know, HIPAA is our federal privacy law for medical records. It doesn't discriminate based on law enforcement and defense investigations. It has safeguards. They apply to both. And both can ultimately get them if they meet the high threshold burdens and showing that the information's relevant material necessary. So those concerns about harassing and abusive subpoenas are legitimate, and we already have safeguards to try to mitigate them. In addition to that, Uh I mean, just think about the kinds of information that we're talking about here. So with social media records, The Stored Communications Act, in the way it's currently read by courts and technology companies, imposes this blanket prohibition of disclosure and information regardless of how sensitive the information really is. So it doesn't matter if you're talking to your spouse, for instance, or to your attorney or your clergy. That information would be privileged under the regular rules of evidence because we think that's really important private information. But this could just be some random conversation with a totally unsensitive relationship or even a huge group of your followers, and that gets the same absolute protection. Very strange. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's interesting, though, of course, there's always going to be some sort of judgment call then, right? You know, if, if you were to, to say that there are different levels. But I guess, I guess that gets to almost everything here, right? You have a judgment call over what should, should be, you know, absolutely protected and what should not be. Yeah. And and back to this point about the just reality of how these laws are passed, it's not as if lawmakers were deliberating and thinking, hey, you know, social media records really are just as sensitive as our attorney-client communications, you know, or your reporter source, your anonymous reporter shield. That's another piece of information Uh that's shielded. Lawmakers aren't thinking, hey, we really need to protect social media records the same way. This is an accident of the legislative process because law enforcement lobbies for their exceptions and few people lobby for a criminal defense investigator to have the same exceptions. You know, I've talked to some of the folks who are who are thinking about these laws and they'll tell me 
we're passing a consumer privacy law. Why are you even telling me about criminal investigations? <laughs> right? They don't know it's going to have this effect. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting. As I said, I mean, when you brought it up to me originally, I was just like, oh, yeah. I mean, there was an angle I hadn't even considered. And I'm sure that's the case with, with everyone who is, who is you know, um, supporting or pushing these laws. It's just, uh, you know, there are so many different areas that privacy touches on. And this is one that probably is, is not top of mind to, to almost anyone. <laughs> totally. And yet there's a really easy fix for it. So we do have these models of symmetrical laws. We can have language in, I think, last session in 2019, it was like eight of the federal privacy bills had these asymmetries built in, but there were other ones that had neutral language. So you can pass laws that just have exceptions for good faith response to valid constitutional legal process, period. Right. You know, it doesn't so, have to say only if it's served by the government. Right. So, so I mean, my next question was, you know, how, how would you fix this? And, and so is that the answer that you want the language to be sort of symmetrical in some form? Yeah, that's one answer. Uh, you know, lawmakers who are drafting these bills that have exceptions for law enforcement investigations should be considering whether defense investigations need similar exceptions. But I also think that we need to draft the bills with a very aggressive construction of the statutory language in mind. And so the fact that Facebook and Twitter read the SCA to prohibit compliance with a trial judge's trial order based on the U.S federal constitution and decided to be held in contempt and pay a fine rather than hand over evidence, potentially exculpatory, exculpatory evidence for indigent defendants facing a life sentence. I mean, that's what they did in the Sullivan uh, and Hunter uh -huh. trial. The fact that they're going to read that statute so aggressively means that lawmakers who are drafting it have to anticipate that the language in these bills is going to be construed aggressively to protect privacy and deny subpoenas. So they need to make express exceptions for defense investigations. And you can see that law enforcement has figured this out because it's difficult to anticipate, maybe impossible to anticipate all the circumstances that a statute is going to be applied to. Sure. And so law enforcement gets blanket exceptions for their investigations that cover everything in these statutes. The CCPA is one example. Section 145 of that law has a blanket exception for compliance with government investigations. As so you have to just ask yourself, why is it law enforcement wants this blanket exception? A lot of what law enforcement's investigating, the same people, the same facts, the same location, circumstances, are going to come up in defense investigations too. You know, they're investigating the same charges. So right. they're likely going to need some of the same investigative tools. Right. And, and just for listeners, in, in, in case you somehow have missed this, CCPA is the new California privacy law that just went into effect at the beginning of January um, and has all sorts of other issues but but this is um this is interesting so it has it just has sort of a blanket exception for law enforcement yeah yeah so anything in the bill that's going to potentially interfere with a criminal investigation just isn't going to apply to law enforcement investigations they're going to get a free pass it's section 145 of of the ccpa but it doesn't have that free pass for defense investigations Right. And and are we seeing this? I mean, there are a lot of other state laws um, that are you know currently being debated and obviously a few different federal bills. Um, and so are, do most of them have the same uh, asymmetry? Yeah, a lot of them have this asymmetry. A lot of them do. But what's 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 
fascinating is that some of them don't. So Hakeem right. Jeffries' bill from last from 2019 had symmetrical neutral language. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden's proposed bill, this was from 2019 too, the Consumer Data uh-huh. Protection Act, that had an asymmetry. It has uh, exceptions for disclosures to government entities, but it doesn't have exceptions for defense investigators. So it's it seems to be pretty haphazard, and that just, I think, supports the reality that this is not well-reasoned or thought through. Yeah. Is it, I mean, is it that law enforcement is, I, I know that, you know, whenever politicians are pushing for these kinds of privacy bills that, that usually law enforcement does, you know, raise concerns about what it would mean for their investigatory powers. But um, do, do you think that they're sort of heavily lobbying whenever any of these bills are coming out? Yeah, that's certainly my understanding. I'm not in the mm-hmm. room, so I, I'm <laughs> sure, not a course. primary source here. But uh, but right, I mean, the, the point is lawmakers have, law enforcement has a substantial lobbying power, and the criminal defense bar just has a lot on their hands. So they have some advocacy groups that do great work, uh, but they're dealing with so many different issues in criminal justice reform that this one, understandably, isn't always on the front burner. And, right. and so that, I think, is the, just the reality of it. And then also state lawmakers, there's a lot of copy and paste that goes on. We're depending on other bills. And so if we could get this fixed in some of the leading bills, I think then we would see it proliferate right. as a fix in the, in, the, in, the, in the other bill. But look, even if we can't fix the legislative process, I think courts can still do some good here. So if courts see a privacy bill that's gotten in the way of defense investigations, they could be giving an adverse inference instruction to the jury. So this is this is a, an instruction that a judge can give to the jury in a trial that says, mm-hmm. hey, defense investigators tried to get some information and they weren't able to. Right. And, and so you should presume that if they had, it would have been favorable to their case. You know, so there's a lot that we can do to be trying to mitigate the bad consequences of these laws. But the first step should be not to enact the asymmetries in the first place. Right. And so, I mean, at this point, do you think that issue is basically just one of getting the the idea out there? I mean, I know you're working on this law review article and, and, uh, you know, you're here on the podcast talking about it. Is it is it is it just one of of knowledge that, that people just need to recognize that this is an issue? I think so. I think it's just one of knowledge. It's 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 kind of like that rare five dollar bill that's just <laughs> on the side of the sidewalk. You know, if we can pick it up and we can really fix this pretty easily. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, as I said, it was just one of those things that I had never thought about, and so it was sort of interesting to think think through these issues. Um, if I. I, I Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, no. I, I just I was going to go back to the, what you were saying about the legitimate interest in privacy, and that and uh-huh. it, it is so important. But I just want to point out that the Store Communications Act, the way it currently operates, doesn't really protect your privacy from criminal defense investigations in most cases. And so the act still lets defense counsel subpoena account holders Uh for the information. And so in the vast majority of circumstances, if defense counsel's gonna be sending harassing, abusive subpoenas, or they're gonna be sending subpoenas that just have these bad privacy costs to them, those costs are still gonna be there. They're just gonna serve the subpoena on the account holder. And by the way, they don't have to give notice to other 
other people's communications that are caught up in that account holder's disclosure either. Right. And so it's really the rare circumstances where this law is going to absolutely block access to evidence. But those are the circumstances where it's going to be most unjust for criminal defendants. Right. So in the example you gave before is because the, the person in particular was, was pleading the fifth to, to, to uh, stop you know, as a reason not to give those communications. Exactly. And there are other kinds of circumstances where defense investigators aren't going to be able to get information from account holders. So that's like, for instance, if the, if the account holder, you can't find them, you know, say they are homeless or they're itinerant, you can't locate them or say they are dangerous. You know, there was a case also in San Francisco recently where an individual defendant was caught on surveillance camera shooting at an SUV. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to argue that he was acting in self-defense because the individual who was driving the SUV had been threatening and harassing him on Instagram for the past six months, making him fear for his life. And in fact, that individual had tried to kill him earlier and the attempted murder had been investigated by the police. So Hmm. he wanted to be able to get content related to that individual's Instagram account that he didn't have access to anymore, but he wanted to get it from Facebook. He didn't want to have to go subpoena the individual who's trying to kill him, you know, (laughs) in, in order to tip them off. And so that's an example. A lot of these laws have express circumstances written into them for when law enforcement might need to get information confidentially. And that's if somebody is going to be, you know, if you tip somebody off that you're investigating them, that individual might threaten a witness's security or safety or threaten somebody's life, or maybe they're untrustworthy and they're going to destroy evidence or tamper with evidence. And so we know these circumstances arise, and that's why law enforcement sometimes has to delay notice to the subjects of investigations in, in, in those types of extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so, too, those extreme circumstances also come up with defense investigations. So just another example of where uh, it's really the edge case that this is right. going to create an injustice for defendants, whereas in the majority of cases, allowing defense subpoenas to technology companies is going to impose almost no additional threat to privacy because they can already subpoena the account holders. What it's going to do is not immunize the technology companies from the administrative burden of complying with legal process that the rest of us all have to to comply with if it's served on us. Right. Yeah. No, I I mean, I'm still thinking about this is you know, I, I recently wrote a story, not in the criminal context, but in a, in a civil context. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the background here. It was a really complex and weird case, but where uh, it appeared that that a lawyer was using civil subpoena, you know, in, in a civil case was using subpoenas to Twitter to try and uh, unearth communications uh, that would be useful in a different case that the lawyer was also involved in, which <laughs> seemed like a pretty clear uh, abuse. And so, mm. uh, you know, and in that story, you know, I had pointed out that one, uh, the subpoenas were going to the wrong party because they were going to Twitter rather than the individuals. Um, and that that shouldn't be, that's really not supposed to be allowed. Um, and that, But part of that was, I think, because the lawyer in this case, appeared to not want to tip off the, the people that he was trying to get their uh, information from because it was, it was a completely unrelated case. I mean, it seemed like an abuse of the subpoena power. Uh, yeah. But, but 
that I know. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'd love to read your work on that case. Just to flag, civil subpoenas are really a different beast than criminal subpoenas. So civil subpoenas and civil discovery are very broad and liberal. And we let attorneys in civil cases subpoena vast swaths of data that's not going to be admissible evidence. Not so in criminal cases. So especially pretrial criminal subpoenas are very narrow. They have that Hmm. that that limit that I said before about fishing expeditions. So if the judge mm-hmm. thinks you're just off fishing, they're going to deny you. But also they require defense counsel pre-trial to show that the information they're trying to get is going to be relevant and it's going to be admissible evidence in the case. And that means you can't get hearsay material. You can't hearsay is an out of court statement that's not right. admissible in the, in the in the trial. You can't get that. You can't get information that's protected by rape shield laws, for instance. So already our subpoenas in the criminal cases are much more narrower, and so they're less vulnerable to that type of abuse. The other big difference, of course, is the Constitution, which kicks in full force in the criminal cases, but not as much in the civil. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good and important distinction. I'm glad that you made it. I mean, most of my you know, I have lots of examples of, of abuse of, of civil subpoena process, um and, and I'm, you know, just fundamentally less familiar with, with how subpoenas are used in criminal cases, so I think that's actually really useful background. Um yeah, so, which, which isn't to say it's not a legitimate concern. It's just that it's a concern that applies to all kinds of sensitive information, not just the contents of your social media records. I mean, these concerns about criminal defense investigations being overly invasive of privacy, they apply to medical records, they apply to psych records, they apply to location information. And we're used to accommodating and accounting for those types of risks with all the safeguards we talked about before. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think I mean just as as a sort of tangential side note, but I think it's important. You know, it seems like we are, you know, finally in a moment where like criminal justice reform is actually interesting to people. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's an issue that's been really important for a long time, but it feels like there's there is this movement now where people are recognizing that that we need significant criminal justice reform in all sorts of areas, right? Uh, you know, well beyond this one, um, and so. You know, I think this is it feels like a good time to be bringing up these issues. Obviously, you know, there are all these privacy laws that are, you know, being proposed and some of them actually, you know, becoming law. Um, But it's happening at the same time that that there is renewed interest in criminal justice reform. Right. Um, And And the new privacy laws, what's troubling about them is that they're poised to make the SCA like asymmetry so much worse because those laws are going to cover so many more types of data. So right right now, no problem getting non-content information. But if the data privacy laws pass and include these types of asymmetries, it's going to screw up defense investigations just when not only do we want to be reforming our criminal justice system, but also we're handing and storing so much more data that's going to be relevant relevant to criminal yeah. investigations with third-party service providers. So Fitbit data, you know, um, uh, cell phone location records, all, all of the DNA. You know, we used to live in a uh-huh. world where the government had possession of your DNA databases, and that's not true anymore. 23andMe is in charge of the DNA right. databases. And so the privacy laws are going are to have more effect, and the asymmetries are going to have a worse imbalance because we are uh, handing so much more of the relevant evidence in criminal cases to third parties. Right. And that's that's only going to increase. I mean, I think, 
you know, it's it's obviously been increasing as you know a lot over the last decade or two decades. But I think we're only just getting started on that front. Totally, and it'll create some interesting questions for privacy laws beyond just in this context. I think in a lot of contexts, uh, it's it it creates challenges on both sides of of the privacy debate. Yeah, um, that'll that'll be really kind of kind of interesting to to think through. Um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is all really super interesting stuff. As I said, you know, it's just something I hadn't really considered. And, and um, it's it's really kind of interesting to think about. Is, is there anything? Um, is there anything that, that I'm, I'm missing? Is there anything else that to, to, to think about regarding these things? I think we, we've covered a whole bunch. Uh, and we've gone through all my questions. So. Yeah, no, we covered a lot. And I, and I just want to also say that I'm so appreciative of you for reporting on it, because it does feel like something that we can fix, we could, just, you know, it's like a train crash, you see it's happening. And like, if we could just raise awareness, then we don't have to drive the train that way. We could pull the brake. And, and so I think you're uh, raising awareness on this can really help. And, and I so appreciate it. I, the one thing I think we haven't touched on is that, well, we're talking a lot about defense investigations. This really isn't a law enforcement versus defense issue. Uh -huh. because it's not law enforcement that's trying to deny these subpoenas. Yeah, that's right? a good point. It's companies, it's private companies, the private sector. And, and actually, there's a case right now pending before the California State Supreme Court. Touchstone is the name of the defendant. Uh -huh. And in that case, a San Diego district attorney actually filed a brief arguing that the Stored Communications Act doesn't apply to Facebook at all. Mm. And so this shouldn't bar the defense investigator's subpoena. And so I just wanted to flag that, 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 that I'm, that we're not, it's not as if we're setting something up that, that, uh, uh, that is one side versus the other pro government, pro defense. This is really everybody on board trying to make our criminal justice system more fair. Right. It, it, so that does raise a sort of one question. I mean, are there, uh, you know, it's one thing to say that this is, um, you know, that it's sort of just ignorance on the part of lawmakers, not not in a bad way, just, you know, general ignorance. They're, they're not aware of this issue in, in making these laws come out. Are there are there actually and, and as you pointed out, like law enforcement just wants to make sure they have access. They're not necessarily, um, you know, fighting to deny access to 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 defense. Exactly. Um, it, uh, but are there is there anyone who is who is pushing back against these and, and, and is sort of fighting back against the idea of, uh, allowing, uh, these kind of, 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 you know, criminal subpoenas to, to be allowed within privacy laws? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, in the pending ones, I'm actually not sure. Uh, that's a great question. We'll see. I, I'm hoping to get yeah. some, some meetings with some, uh, uh, congressional staffers to talk about this soon. So, uh, maybe somebody will be on the other side of the table saying, Hey, wait, um, there have been historical laws that were passed to deny defense subpoenas deliberately. And, uh -huh. and so in New York, there's an example, a law that actually shields police disciplinary records from public right. review that was passed with the express intention of stopping defense counsel from getting access to those records to cross-examine and impeach right. police officers. That's a special case. <laughs> That's a special case. But but we can see, I mean, one of the reasons why I think it's great to have this conversation, period, right. no matter what lawmakers decide to do, is that if we get them to say on the record, actually, yeah, we, we really do want to stop defense investigations and we want to do it for this reason, which is what they have in the legislative history of this New York statute 
Civil Rights Law 50A, if you want to go look it up. There's a, <laughs> but now there's a Democratic campaign to repeal that law. And we can right. look back at it and say, that's really weird that we that lawmakers were trying to shield police officer witnesses from cross-examination. Right. And we can reassess, is that a reason we think is legitimate today? And so at least if we have the conversation, then we'll make deliberate choices that can facilitate democratic review down the line. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting to hear if there's anyone sort of opposing this, this kind of thing. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of fascinating, and I think it 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 sort of crystallized in my mind when you pointed out that like law enforcement just wants access uh, for themselves. It's a, there is a question of whether or not they would actively try and prevent uh, the defense from being able to to access information on their own. Yeah, and I don't, I haven't seen any indication of that in the legislative histories. I, of course, there has been in briefing of these cases, uh-huh. uh, government actors have briefed to sure. say they read the statute in particular ways, the past statutes in particular ways. But, but look, Mike, if you find somebody who wants to <laughs> chat with me and take the opposing view, I'd love to talk with them. Send them yeah. my way. Okay. All right. Deal. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that would be interesting. Um, no, this, as I said, is a very interesting, different way of looking at, at this issue. Uh, but I think it, it is an important issue and it's just one that I hadn't considered, but it is yet another example of kind of, you know, all of, all of these privacy laws create all different kinds of trade-offs and, um, you know, many of which, you know, people who are, are pushing them aren't necessarily thinking through because it's, it's impossible to think through everything. Um, and so I, I certainly appreciate that you're, raising this issue and making people aware of it and getting people to think about it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's another interesting example. So, um, you know, thank you so much for, for raising this issue and for taking the time to come on the podcast. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for reporting on it and helping sure. to raise awareness. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well. Uh, we'll be back next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh.